This is Evermore Poe, the turbulent youth of Edgar Allan Poe. Chapter 31 We're leaving! Bye, Mom! Nancy! Eddie hollered from the foyer. What time will we be home, dear? Frances asked her husband. Shan't be long. Should be home by supper. John and Eddie left together for Clark's Academy. Edgar's fate as a writer hung in the balance as he and John made their way to the Academy on the hill for Mr. Clark's going-away speech. Meeting the new headmaster paled in comparison to the excitement of knowing that Pa planned to ask Mr. Clark about publishing his work. Frances excused herself from the occasion, feeling ill once again. When they arrived at the Academy on the hill, Edgar and John Allen stood in the back of the packed house, Mr. Clark made his way through the crowd and took to the podium one last time. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for coming this evening. As you know, I have made the difficult decision to return to Maryland, where I have family. It is with a heavy heart that I excuse myself as the proprietor of this fine academy. It goes without saying that I shall quite miss my time in Richmond and teaching the future leaders of Virginia and, God willing, these United States. I have no doubt I shall one day be seeing many of their names in print. Eddie sat up straight, certain that Mr. Clark was referring to him specifically. I am equally grateful to all of you for affording me the opportunity to teach your sons. It pleases me to no end that nearly all of our alumni choose to matriculate at the college of their choosing. We have come a long way from our humble beginnings located above Dr. Leroy's store on Broad and Fifth to these hallowed halls of the Athenaeum and I wish for the Academy's continued prosperity. And so, ladies and gentlemen, it is my honor to present my successor, a man whom many of you already know. I give you your new headmaster, Mr. William Burke. Polite applause filled the room and bounced off the wooden paneling. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm quite humbled by that warm welcome. I only hope your sons will retain that level of enthusiasm come fall, he said jokingly. As Headmaster Clark said, I am William Burke. I have been an instructor in the lower house of this academy for five years' time. I teach the classics, Latin and Greek, mathematics, and so forth. And despite my jovial disposition, it is best to understand that I have zero tolerance for truancy and inattentiveness. And like the gentleman before me, I believe in the moral power of the birch rod when students are acting out. Should you have an aversion to this form of punishment, I invite you to look at other fine academies in Richmond. The smile on Mr. Burke's face did not match the tough words coming from his mouth. And while it is my intention to maintain continuity in this academy, I must inform you of some changes that must take place, namely our location. Details to follow. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for your time. I bid you a good night. As people filed out of the room, Eddie whispered, There's Headmaster Clark, Pa. Maybe you can go talk to him now. John Allen grunted in acknowledgement, Mm-hmm, and made his way towards the retiring headmaster. Eddie watched as his foster father handed the man an envelope of his work. The two men smiled at one another and shook hands. Try as he might, Eddie couldn't hear or read their lips over the din of the crowd. He cursed to himself. But on the walk home, John could feel Eddie's bated breath. Finally, he broke. Well, what did Mr. Clark say? Och, hold your horses, me boy. Give the man a chance. 
They walked on, but Eddie could not resist and pried further. Well, did he at least say when he'd get back to you? In good time. Meanwhile, across town, Juliet stood on the back porch surveying the yard, with Miss Fanny napping, Miss Nancy crocheting in the parlor, and everyone else going about their own business. This was her favorite time of day. Juliet could be alone with her thoughts. It was a day like this when she first came across a stray copy of Mr. Allen's newspaper and decided to practice her reading. That was the day that everything changed. Right there on page two of the American and Commercial Daily Advisor was a report on a special session of the House of Representatives. It read, Suppression of the slave trade resolved that the President of the United States may deem expedient for the effectual abolition of the African slave trade and its ultimate denunciation as piracy under the law of nations by the consent of the civilized world. The article went on to say that a Mr. Wright of Maryland had spoken at length on the necessity of adopting measures for the total abolition of the slave trade. Until that moment, it had never occurred to Juliet that there was a political opposition to slavery. She had never heard of such a thing. Looking back, Juliet realized that she had been made to believe that this caste system she was a part of was a simple social norm meant to be accepted. Only now, that appeared to be a complete lie. Juliet's epiphany came with a harsh new reality. Namely, no one was going to save her. If she didn't get out of this predicament on her own, and soon, she'd either die here a servant or become one of the very people she detested. No, a clean start was the only way, and that is exactly when her plan sprang to life. Confessing everything to Eddie and even accepting his offer of help was risky business. Her friend Eddie was right about one thing, though, that embarking from Boston to Monrovia would be much easier than it would be from Richmond, where a pedestrian girl of color was giving curious looks, if not stopped altogether. Eddie's plan that they run away to Boston together seemed too good to be true. Plus, Juliet had seen many of Edgar's promises come and go in the past. He meant well but the disappointment he caused was palpable. Still, Juliet couldn't help but put stock in their relationship. She loved Eddie. Every wickedly smart, funny, bold, creative, artistic, tortured, sad, misunderstood, confusing part of him. She knew their relationship was special. If ever Eddie was going to make good on one of his myriad promises, it must be now. She prayed Eddie would make good on his promise to find her papers, but just in case, she needed a backup plan. Right then and there, Juliet resigned herself to make one. Then she turned to go inside to begin preparing supper. Evermore Poe is the historical account of a teenaged Edgar Allan Poe. If you'd like to learn more about Eddie's devolution to become the master of the macabre, please don't forget to follow and share this podcast. Evermore Poe was researched, written, produced, and edited by yours truly, journalist Chris Kosach. I began my research more than a decade ago using vetted journalistic methods with corroborated fact-checking from respected sources including the Library of Congress, periodicals obtained from multiple Poe museums, notable scholars, and 
and the National Archives, among other collections, strung together in a narrative style. In other words, my story is mostly true. Our music today is from Esther Abrami. It should be noted that some of the characters in Evermore Poe are composites of real people, including servants and slaves who lived in the Allen home at the time of our story. Please note, while Evermore Poe is based on fact, it should not be confused with the historic record. For that, I hope you will go down your own rabbit hole to research one of the most thrilling American authors of all time. Our story continues again next time on Evermore Poe. Until then, I'm Chris Kosach. Thank you for listening.